2: Welcome to the latest episode of Total Saints Podcast. This is the dedicated Southampton podcast that goes to the heart of all things Saints FC. I'm delighted to say that after another brief international break, Steve, Adam and myself are back and ready to go for another set of Premier League fixtures before the next friggin' international break in November. I say that, but as we've discussed before, the way Saints have been performing this season, the international breaks have been somewhat of a blessing in disguise. Steve, we spoke about it in the last podcast, but an enjoyable break for you, obviously heading over to Seville to watch England.
3: Yeah, I mean that was I mean that first half was just absolutely extraordinary. Um I mean it was just an absolutely perfect sort of world class demonstration of counter attacking football. Um which I don't think I don't think anybody has probably ever seen from an England team before. It was weird because Spain was still probably the better side I thought. Um they created a lot of chances first 15 20 minutes or so. I think there was one where um I think Pickford somehow managed to save it with his face. Yeah. But then yeah just just on the break. I mean I don't know don't know whether they were just a bit lax and or or whether Spain's defence genuinely is that rubbish but on the rare occasions we did actually go forward they looked absolutely terrified. Um it's great fun.
2: And a significant result for Gareth Southgate as well Steve having just signed a long-term extension.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean I think there's there, there was always an underlying sort of feeling after the World Cup that, yeah, okay, we we're obviously getting to the semi-final. You can't argue with with that achievement, but who have we had to beat in order to get there? Yeah. Um, and the three games we played against, um, against good opposition, we lost them all. I mean, obviously the Belgium games in the group stage was a reserve game. The third, fourth playoff was kind of a reserve game. Although I mean, Belgium put their first team out. We we made a few changes. And Croatia hey, Croatia you obviously say was was after extra time, but um ultimately we never really looked like winning that once they equalised. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean getting getting a win against against Spain in Spain particularly. I think I think that was their first first competitive home defeat um in fifteen years and the first time ever they've conceded three at home in a competitive game. Wow. So yeah, fair play to Southgate, you got tactics absolutely spot on. I mean, ultimately you still got to go out there and execute it. And the whole team were good. I mean, I, I can't, can't think of anybody who had a, who had a bad game. I and mean, even, even Eric Dyer was good.
2: <laughs> and Adam, a little bit more glamorous for you. I didn't want to let on in the last podcast, cause I didn't want anything to happen to your house, but you've been out in Hawaii for a couple of weeks. So tell us about that. Yeah. Well, I was there to watch the Ironman world
4: championships, which take place every year, uh, on the big Island of Hawaii. Uh, my, my other half are qualified. It's a qualification only race. Um, and so, I went out there to to race the world champ. So I went out as uh, chief cheerleader, um, bike carrier, and, and whatever else, and uh, and also just to to watch it and enjoy the spectacle. You know, as some of the listeners to the pod know, I love uh, Man, I do it myself as well, and it's um, yeah, it's like the the sort of biggest biggest day in the sport, really. So it was pretty pretty special to be out there and kind of see all the iconic stars of the sport and the iconic venue that, that is Kona in, in all its glory. Uh, so it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time.
2: You mentioned the word cheerleader there, Adam. I've got this really disturbing picture in my mind now of um, you wearing a, a grass skirt and a coconut bra. Some may not find it disturbing, but uh, tell me that wasn't the case.
4: Well, I mean, I think secretly you probably quite like that image.
2: Yeah, I've given it away there, haven't I?
4: Well, it's a good job it's a, it's recorded, this, and it's not uh, it's not filmed.
2: Yeah, very much so. I think we should move on quite quickly, shouldn't we? But uh, there we go. On this week's podcast, we'll discuss the Bournemouth away fixture. We'll also look ahead to Newcastle, who are up next at St Mary's, and we'll also reflect on the recent fan survey that Saints undertook last week, with uh, hot topics including season ticket plus, potential for safe standing in fan zone areas. This is the level-headed and we hope constructive Total Saints podcast it's episode 48 and we're sponsored by happyhot tubs.co.uk at happy hot tubs we specialize in hot tubs it's all we've done
0: for 35 years so if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone then we're the place for honest clear and friendly advice plus right now we have zero percent available on our hot tubs meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk.
2: 0% excludes free-throw range. Saints made the 30-odd-mile trip down to the Vitality Stadium this weekend to play in the It's Not A Derby Derby versus Bournemouth, two years to the day since playing Inter at the San Siro. The game ended 0-0, with chances fairly few and far between. All in all, Adam, a point Saints fans, myself included, probably would have taken before a ball was kicked.
4: Yeah, plenty of positives as well. I felt uh, out of the game. Um, obviously, the one the one major negative to start with is the fact that it was a it was a game that Saints should have won and they didn't, and that obviously is um, is fairly disappointing uh, when wins are so been so hard to come by. Um, they had some pretty glorious opportunities, and Bournemouth were their usual selves against Saints, which is absolutely useless. I mean, it is. Um, I find it intriguing that the whole Bournemouth thing, because I don't really ever get to watch Bournemouth other than the two times they play Saints. Yeah. And I hear obviously a lot because a lot of the journalists um, on the south coast maybe cover both clubs um, sort of nationally and things like that. And so I hear an awful lot about how great Bournemouth are and the way they play. And yet pretty much every time I've seen them, which is obviously only when they've played Saints, they've been absolutely awful. So I don't really know what that's about. I I had a quick look at you. Since since the turn of the millennium, two teams played each other 10 times and Bournemouth only won once, which given the kind of respective league form and the fact that they've sort of always been in the same division in those seasons when they played, etc., is slightly surprising. But, you know, credit Saints. uh, They were defensively very solid. I think there were plenty of uh, raised eyebrows, as Mark Hughes correctly said uh, in his um, post-match interview when... He named uh, Stevens and and Hoyt as the centre half pairing for for this week, but actually it really worked. They they were very solid defensively, and the, really the only thing missing for me from the performance was just the winning goal. Yeah, uh, and other than that, I thought well, at least there's there's some positives there, and there's something to take forward. And from Hughes's point of view as well, we began to wonder whether it's just a case of keep on selecting. Uh, Different combinations, different formations uh, until eventually maybe something happened to stick with. Well, I think he got something this time and he got something to stick with. And so that gives them a, a good base, a bit more consistency to head into obviously a huge match against Newcastle now.
2: Steve you were there in the away end as well. We were just talking uh, before we started recording the podcast and you uh, said Bournemouth were pretty championship-esque in their approach to the game weren't fantastic. So did you think a draw was a fair result or do you think Saints should have won based on the chances we had?
3: Yeah, no I, th- I think um I think we should have won it. Yeah. Um we had enough enough pressure through most of the game really and Begovic is the only, is the only one of the two keepers who's who's had a single save to make. I think of suddenly shot on target was a header from, from Ake from a corner that literally looped straight into McCarthy's hands, whereas Begovic has had two or three saves. I mean, couple from distance from Hoiberg, uh, one from from a tight angle from long, and then obviously the little there was that little scramble from um, Armstrong. Armstrong, which um, I mean I, I saw saw one of those. Um, uh, XG maps after the game and obviously because Armstrong swung at thin air it doesn't even count as a chance <laughs> and yeah it was just, just frustrating that towards the end of the game we came on really strong and got ourselves actually got ourselves into really good positions created the chances that we've been sort of crying out for, for for so long and yet you get into that situation and then you fluff your lines and I mean there's obviously a little bit of rustiness there when it's Armstrong who's not really played very much this season and Gabbiadini who's not really played very much this season. Um, you fancy if either of those chances falls to Ings, for example, they'd probably go in. But I mean there was it was weird. There was a lot of dissent in the away section when Hughes made that double sub and and replaced both Ings and Austin. But neither of them had really shown an awful lot. They'd they'd huffed and puffed a little bit and but neither of them had, had got into positions and looked like they were likely to score. So I thought, fair enough, give Long and Gabbiadini an opportunity to see, see what they do. And obviously Long won that uh, won that knockdown for Armstrong's chance. And then obviously Gabbiadini goes up for that header in the last minute. So all three subs made an impact. And I mean, if any of those chances goes in, then you say, well, it's an absolute masterstroke substitution there.
2: Adam, just before I ask Steve about Stevens and Hoyt and the centre-back partnership, we've spoken quite a lot on the podcast the last 12-18 months about maybe negative substitutions and sort of um, defensive substitutions by the likes of Pellegrino and even Hughes to a certain extent. So the changes he made, the three substitutes, did seem quite positive and seemed to bring a bit more of a tempo to to Saints game in that last 20 minutes.
4: Yeah, I totally agree with Steve as well. I mean, you said it afterwards. uh, He said, in his opinion, Austin and Ings were basically out on their feet after 70 yeah. minutes and they, they couldn't really move. So they kind of given a lot, but not much was doing for them. So you take them off and you chuck on two players from your bench, and that's what you do. And the momentum was with Saints. And I, I thought, and yeah, I've written in my verdict piece, actually, you know, for all the stick users got in, in the last couple of weeks and, and for the negativity, supposed negativity, uh, and lack of, you know, competing with Chelsea or lack of ambition or whatever, actually... He went very, very positive for, for Bournemouth. He went back to four four two. He had two strikers on the pitch. His substitutions were positive as well. Yeah, and I think that sounded out an important message to the squad as well. It's a division, um, as I've said before, where outside of the top six, I think that clubs tend to get into this mindset that it's more important not to lose than it is to try and win. Yeah, yeah. Um, And Saints are desperate for wins. They need wins. And Hughes knows that. And they can't afford to get sucked into that kind of mindset at this point in time. And I think he deserves some credit for for this, for actually being uh, positive and and making good choices and, and good changes. It's just such a shame that it just seems the Southampton way of the last sort of, what, two and a half years is you can either score goals or... You can be defensively sound, but you can't do both. <laughs> it seems we have, we permanently seem to have one or be in one state or the other. Hopefully, though, the, the the chances are there. So maybe, maybe we might just get both soon.
2: So at centre back, then Steve Mark Hughes decided to make the fifth centre back pairing change that he's made in nine games by bringing Jack Stevens and Wesley Hoyt back together. First time they'd played together since the Everton game, second game of the season. What was your initial reaction to the team selection? And then, how did you feel that those two played?
3: Well, when I saw the lineup, my first in- my first reaction was, "What the bloody hell is this?" But then, by the end of it, I mean Stevens and Stevens and Hoyt were largely untroubled. I mean, there was there was a little bit of panic in the first couple of minutes. So a bit of a sort of gold mouth scramble, but once we saw that through, um, Bournemouth didn't really throw anything at us. I mean, how much of that is down to them uh, them playing badly or us playing well? You can carve it up however you want. But at the end of the day they've they've kept they've kept a clean sheet at a ground where not that many teams do keep clean sheets. Yeah. I mean as as Adam said earlier, they're they're a very strange side because every every time we play against Bournemouth, they're dreadful. And yet the rave reviews they receive from All and Sundry in the in the national press, you'd think they're the second coming of Christ. And yet um <laughs> Eddie 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 Howe has I mean he's obviously done a good job there. They're they're sixth in the table and the the results speak for themselves. But watching that 90 minutes on, on Saturday, you think, well, how the hell are they up in that position?
2: I guess the worry for Saints, Adam, is that they're not scoring goals. That's now, I've worked it out, 385 Premier League minutes since Danny Ings scored his penalty against Brighton. Uh, seems like a, a long time ago now. But I suppose if they're not scoring goals at one end, which is proving challenging, then really trying to sort of keep tight at the back, keep clean sheets, make themselves hard to beat is uh, at least a minor positive we can take.
4: Yeah, and that's that's the positive side. I mean, uh, obviously, six goals what is it, six goals scored in nine games this season. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's that's obviously not good enough. I mean, there's not nobody's going to pretend that that's a, that's a particularly good record. The the problem is that I think there are chan- there are chances being created, which gives you optimism. But <clears throat> there's not a lot of excuse me informed players who look like they're going to take them. In fact, to be completely honest, the most dangerous player at the moment looks Hoiberg. Yeah. Um. He looks the most likely to contribute more goals, which is great because we haven't seen goals from midfield. But as good as Redmond has been this season, uh, he needs to contribute um, some goals. Elian if he's going to play an attacking wide role, needs to contribute some goals. And then obviously the strikers need to get firing. And they've got uh, Ings, you know, who obviously has scored a few, but, but obviously not, not for a few games now and then they've got three guys who to be honest are in pretty rotten form in terms of their goal scoring yeah um in term you know for the other strikers obviously we all know Shane Long's uh, record Austin uh, just hasn't got you know hasn't really got going in goal scoring for some time now and then Gabby Adini i mean well i mean what do you say about Gabby Adini really i mean it's it's what two two goals in a year now from from him i appreciate he hasn't been playing and starting every week and that makes it difficult for him but in the games that he has played he actually has had a number of chances and he and he pretty much has fluffed every single one of them i mean he can Lest we forget that he completely fluffed the one against Swansea that kept them up last year, but thankfully he shinned it into shinned it into the bottom corner. If he'd have hit it cleanly, the way he was lining up, I'm not sure he would have scored. Uh, But
2: do you think? I mean, we've spoken about this, haven't we? A lot. The um, the squad they've now got these 25 Premier League players. Um, The trouble is with Hughes trying to tinker the the lineup, trying to find that formula that works. Is we're ending up with players now that are sort of not match fit they're not getting chances in the Premier League to really put a run together and that's how strikers particularly will score goals if they're in the side and you know really up to speed I guess we have a, a, a few too many players that are rusty
4: yeah no and I agree I think it's incredibly difficult I mean Joe Prince Wright made the point didn't he when he was on our podcast that it was, I thought it was very fair that actually uh, sometimes we talk about the, the chances to be taken by the players who come in but actually it's very difficult if you haven't played I thought that was a very fair point that he that he made there yeah and but but this is the way of the premier league i mean i don't i still don't fully understand why everybody has been so desperately keen to get rid of the reserve league yeah um because these guys need to play i mean they might be very expensive footballers and things and i appreciate that the top teams where they've got european football and they're going deep in domestic cup competitions as well as the league Yes, their players are playing regularly because they're rotating the squad. The same as Saints had when they were in the Europa League. Yeah, I get that, but the rest for the rest of the division, uh, who still have you know squ- you know twenty five man squads of mainly international standard footballers, for most of them to not play, and and you know Saints are some of Saints's players are only getting game time playing international football, <laughs> and, and not uh, domestic football, which is absolutely crazy and. That this is definitely, I think, part of the problem that you you, know, you get. I completely agree, and it's very difficult. And I think Gabbiadini really suffers in, in the fact that he is his career record when he arrived was not suggesting that he was a prolific goalscorer, but that when he did score, he was in, he was obviously very very streaky. We saw that, and that has been proved proven really because he came in and you know he obviously hit the ground running with what was it six goals or whatever it was almost straight away yeah um and then barely scored since so i mean the the only positive is obviously if he does get one you wonder whether another batch will come and and austin has been like that occasionally in his career as well but uh, as i said six goals from from nine games that's just that's not really good enough but the positive is against bournemouth they were doing the right things they're trying to get the ball into the box a lot more and if they do that then then surely they they will start scoring at some stage
2: now earlier today I put a tweet out on the Total Saints podcast Twitter feed um, just to ask really fans whether it was a, a good or a bad point they felt for Saints down at um, the Cherries. Quite a few people sent their replies in so thanks very much for those. Um, Mark Meach said, as with a lot of games where we say it was a good point, an isolation and away point at Bournemouth isn't bad. It is when you just take into account the mediocre form across all games in a season that you begin to worry Darren Boyce-Smith, have to accept that it was a desperately needed point, however still the same problem, no goals, it's simply not good enough for a team that wants to stay in the Premier League, I'm tired of lots of chances, we nearly scored etc etc. Jamie Pragnell said, on reflection it was a good point based on our current form and that of AFCB right now, it's getting frustrating though going to games not being sure whether we will actually score, I just want to see some goals for a change, just hard being a Saints FC fan. Gavin Board said, a good point against the free-flowing Bournemouth. Austin has been poor this season. I think he's more effective off the bench. Despite the miss, surely time for Ings and Gabby. And Peter Nash said, to be fair to Hughes, he gambled with what is at his disposal. I would like to see Sam Gallagher given a chance. Take a point and clean sheet. Um, In terms of Mark Hughes, Adam, he said that Saints have gone down there, executed a plan, made a statement, etc. You were obviously there when he uh, made those comments. You could probably take it positively or worryingly, depending on how you uh, approach it. What did you think?
4: No, I, I think it was a positive. Um, yeah, I mean, I asked him a question that, that listed those answers after the game, and um, yeah, I thought I, I thought it was a it it was just being pretty positive in a re- in response to the question that was asked. Um, obviously, I, sometimes when you see the quotes, you don't actually know. I appreciate the format of the, the or the structure of the question that was actually asked to get that. And yeah, I, I think it was a positive, to be honest. And I, as I said, I was I was impressed with his. General positivity as well, and I think it was something that something that was needed. I do, I do understand this kind of feeling of, you know, are are we really putting out the bunting for a nil-nil draw away at Bournemouth? Um, but at the end of the day, you you can only go from where you are, and the Saints Saints are where they are. They're in a position where probably their season is now on a bit of a knife edge at this stage in terms of are they going to be able to do what they uh, wanted at the start of the season, which is to to not have this nervous uh, relegation battle on their hands again. But they're probably only, uh, you know, one or two more poor results away from that being inevitable, that they're going to be involved in that fight for the majority of the season, barring some incredible and unlikely upturn in form. So... I think you just have to take the positive sort of on a game-by-game game basis. I mean, I, I, you know, I, th- I think Hughes is optimistic when he said before the game, judge me after 38 games. I, I think he knows full well that that doesn't happen. And, you know, I, I didn't hear him massively saying, why did they sack Pellegrino last season? They should have given him 38 games and then judged him. So um, I, I think we all know that that's, that's optimism. and I'm sure Hughes knows that as well. But nonetheless, we are still you know, fairly early in the season. And Saints have had a pretty ropey start, but a more a positive performance um, and a, a steady result. Yeah, I, I agree with what one of the, one of the comments says. Really, now the, the point is that they now have to back that up by beating Newcastle. Because the point of Bournemouth doesn't look great when you should have won if you then don't beat Newcastle. But if you've got that point and then you beat Newcastle and you go, OK, in this international, since our international break, we've got a solid away point. Then we've got a home win at last. Okay, things are feeling a bit better. So I I think it was fair enough what he said, for me anyway.
2: Just finally on the Bournemouth game then, we know social media is one of the big things in football this day and age and there's a lot of footballers that just get told what to tweet or put graphics on there and kind of boring dull stuff Charlie Austin's one of those players who's maybe a little bit more independent in the way he goes about it we know he uh, sort of tends to tweet a little bit more from the heart he put a tweet out after the game last night and uh, said um, good point today tough place to go we move on now big game against Newcastle come on Saints fans we need you to get behind us let's leave the negativity behind and move forward as one Um, I guess you can take that both ways Steve in terms of positive you know yep driving everyone forward come on we need to get collective momentum Momentum in the right direction here, but likewise, you could sort of think, "Well, hold on a minute." You're someone who's paid a lot of money, hasn't necessarily lived up to expectation this season. Look, stop tweeting and worrying about the fans, and actually focus on your own game. Bearing in mind, a lot of the particularly away uh, allocations have been completely sold out by Saints. So, what did you make of it all? Well, I kind of took it as a bit. Well, I don't want to say sort of down the middle, but I, I can I can
3: see why he's sort of putting that out and sort of saying, "Yeah, come on, lads, get behind us," which is fine. And the vast majority of fans will get behind the team and will continue to back the team. As long as there is something on display that is giving them reasons to do so. I think people, people have kind of now got to the stage where, um, I'm mean, come back to the whole ticket pricing thing again, isn't it? That people are paying so much for their tickets and obviously all the, all the sundry expenses around actually getting, getting to and from games these days. that. They kind of feel almost an entitlement that the players are going to go out there and perform every week. Now, obviously, we know that's that's unrealistic because just like you and I, we have rubbish days at work every now and then. Yeah. Um the problem is that this group of players seem to have had more rubbish days than good ones in the last <laughs> two years. So I think I think Charlie's in a position where he's one of the more popular members of the team in the eyes of the fan base. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason. And as a result, I think he's probably on a slightly stronger grounding to come out with something like that. So maybe it might have the desired effect from the perspective of sort of getting constant sort of uh, support right from the first whistle on Saturday. Um, Who knows? But I mean, I I thought the I thought the support down at Bournemouth was fine. There wasn't really any negativity as such, I don't think, other than there was, was as I said, there was a bit of dissent when, um, when the double substitution came, but I mean that was like it was like for like, and the only, the only issue was that Ings was taken off. Um, I don't think anybody was remotely bothered about Austin being being hooked. So I was quite surprised he lasted as long as he did because he took a took a big whack to the head at one point, and um, sort of about ten minutes into the second half, I had to had to change his shirt because he was still bleeding that out the back of his head. I think, um, so I was quite surprised he stayed on as long as he did, as is often the case when the ball's not in the box very much. He didn't really offer an awful lot.
2: Look, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but just before I come to you, Adam, a few other tweets that we had about that Charlie Austin tweet then. Um, Dave Robinson said, Austin does have a point to some extent. It surely does affect the players if they are being booed. Atmosphere at St Mary's has been very poor for at least a couple of years. What I'd say to that, though, give us something to shout about. It's been poor for so long. Dan Vaughan said, He's right about the fans. At home, the atmosphere has gotten steadily worse since we were promoted back to the Premier League. Scott Hamilton said, Austin couldn't be more right. Our fans are embarrassing right now. Get behind the players and the club. Lee Webb said, Ridiculous statement. He should do it on the pitch. And Caroline Emerson said, Austin's tweet shows that the players know how we feel at games and on social media, they are not stupid. Adam, as I say, don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but what's your view on this uh, social media and footballers these days? I don't mind people having an opinion, personally.
4: Uh, I I welcome it. I think it's better. I don't like this sanitised version that we get of football and footballers these days, too much. I think it's nice to see some personality. Now, I sometimes get asked, "Oh, do you, you know? Do you think the the fans are are behind the team enough?" And I I thought long ago, I, I don't feel like it's anybody's place to tell the fans what they should or shouldn't be doing because at the end of the day they're paying a fortune to go and uh, watch the club and therefore they're entitled to say or do whatever they want i, I don't agree with this just because you support the team that you should slavishly toe the party line and, and you know be happy clappy and cheering and when things are going really badly and what other business or industry or other part of your life would you think that was a, the appropriate way to live and so i don't necessarily think that's the case there and so i do wonder whether it's the most sensible or well thought out thing to say but i also like i said i don't have a problem with charlie austin saying that if that's if that's what he feels um because you know it's nice to hear direct from footballers i i despise the the tweets with the artwork and the you know the for the photos i think it's utterly pathetic and fairly shameless for most of them because they're either um it's either an ego-driven thing, or it's obviously a commercial-related thing, and they obviously don't have any—not uh, doing their own accounts, as it were. Uh, somebody else is doing it for them, and you tend to think, "Well, come on, you're probably doing well enough as it is without all this nonsense." And um, so, I think it's quite nice to see a player at least are prepared to put their head above the parapet and, and say what they think, even if I'm not sure that I actually agree with it. Because, I, well, I don't really agree with
2: it, but but I don't I don't begrudge him having his say at all he's more than welcome to it I think just finally on the Bournemouth game then a couple more tweets Rob Barber said it would be a good point if we can beat Newcastle though an opportunity missed to get three we missed some great chances which you have to take at this level Alex Hebs said should be beating teams like Bournemouth very frustrating lack of goals and pressing Luke Stevens said On current form of both teams it's a good point but as said by many fans celebrating a point at Bournemouth is a clear statement of our decline the last 24 months Austin's right We should stick together but fans, players, relationships is a two-way thing they need to earn us support Before we go on to talk about the Newcastle game then, during the international break and straight after the 3-0 Chelsea defeat, Saints took the step to survey their fan base on a number of commercial and stadium-related topics. These included food and drink, enhanced season ticket possibilities and safe standing. Steve, the club often get bashed for the way they go about canvassing fans' opinions, but it is important that they get that information from fans. So what did you make of this particular survey? And I guess it's timing. There's There's probably never a good time to ask these sort of things.
3: No, there isn't. And I mean, particularly when it's very obviously aimed at a certain market and we're talking the people that are going to be willing to pay even more than they are at the moment for a season ticket. And I think to be honest, the the number of people that fall into that category is pretty slim right now. But at the end of the day, the club has got to do research to find out what the fans want. I mean, they've, they've obviously set up this um, set up the saints voice panel, which is going to, going to be feeding things back sort of in both directions from the club to the fans in order to sort of make, make the whole, I mean, I hate the sort of wanky expression, but match day experience um, better for people, which is, is stuff that they should be doing. And that and that's absolutely fine. I think, yeah, I mean, the, the problem you're going to have with the timing of it, I think after a heavy home defeat, I think they should have probably just said, actually, no, um, we'll, we'll hold off on this and send it maybe next week because it, it will then be in the middle of an international break. And therefore, nobody will be still seething from the previous day's, um shambles i think that what they'll probably end up have got from the um from the results of this survey is a slightly lopsided view because i think everybody will have been so annoyed that they'll have received it um they'll have either had people that literally just deleted the email as soon as it came into the came into their inbox or you'd have had people who actually go on to the survey and kind of more specifically answered in an angry fashion um so you then you then get completely skewed results the club then has absolutely no idea
2: yeah i certainly saw a screenshot of someone saying that uh, sammy saint should have his drum taken away from him
3: oh i'm, I'm all in favor of that to be
2: fair <laughs> well it doesn't sound like you're the only one but uh, adam look i know you were out the country um look i mean sending it out the day after a three nil defeat to chelsea maybe wasn't the the wisest thing in the world i think fans were naturally frustrated it is important that, as i say the club get this information but can you understand maybe why it hasn't gone down particularly well
4: yeah timing's everything isn't it <laughs> and uh that's a pretty bad timing, to be honest. I think that the, the wider point is that, uh, and I've made it um, before, so I don't want to harp on about it too much, but is that this kind of feeling that the club has sort of lost touch with being a football club, as it were, and is more of a business, is, is kind of underlined by sending out a survey like that at this particular time. Nothing wrong with sending the survey out and you you, know, you have to do it at some stage. And if this is going to be a long you know difficult season then it's never going to get any easier I suppose but nonetheless I think when you have people with a football kind of background making the decisions as to when these things get sent out they don't get sent out and when you have people who don't really understand what it is about football and they could be they could transferably be working in any business then they don't really see how it is an insensitive time to send it out because it's just you know it's customer relations, it's customer you know feedback etc. And I think that that ultimately is probably the issue of of what has taken place. Really, I mean it's not it's nothing desperately bad or, or terrible, is it? But um, I do think it probably that the timing was a little <laughs> a little bit. I think insensitive is probably the best word for it, and, and it could have been done a little more. Uh, tactfully, shall we say.
2: I suppose one of the positives that we should take out of it is that they were looking to ask fans about safe standing. We did an episode last season, episode 34, where we discussed safe standing with John from the Saints FC podcast and also councillor Andrew Pope. Um, It's something that's been making some noise in and around football. The government are starting to look at it a little bit more seriously. Um, I guess safe standing, Steve, interested to get your view on it in terms of whether you think it could improve the atmosphere at St Mary's or not.
3: Oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all in favour of it. I'm not convinced it's it's the um, the sort of golden ticket to recovering the lost the lost atmosphere and um, the sort of reverse gentrification of football, if you like, that people seem to think it will be the the sort of magic answer to this, which it just clearly won't, because all that will happen is the safe standing areas will be the uh, the most sought after areas of the ground, and as a result, they'll be um, they'll be priced accordingly. Yeah. Um, so I think this, this idea that if you bring some form of terracing back to the Premier League football, that A, the atmosphere is going to automatically improve, and B, the ticket prices are going to suddenly drop for people. I think um, I think people are um, living in cloud cuckoo land. The atmosphere thing is, I think, it's just a complete red herring, because, I mean, let's face it, the whole of the Northern, and you would think that it would be the Northern stand where safe standing would be introduced, the whole of the Northern stands anyway. So you might as well just... Have a slight amendment on the safety regulations. I think at the end of the day, if they if they decide that safe standing is the way to go, then yeah, fine. But as I say, I don't think it's the golden ticket for for any of football's ills, really.
2: I can't help feeling, Steve, that goals and wins might actually change the atmosphere a little bit.
3: Yeah, I think I think that's that's usually a safer bet. Newcastle Saints podcast with Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach and Steve Grant. Sponsored by HappyHotTubs.co.uk.
2: Next up for Saints and Newcastle United, a team and fan base suffering similar turmoil as ourselves at the moment. Adam, I've done my research for the podcast. Saints have more Premier League wins against Newcastle than any other side they've ever played in the history of the Premier League. 15 to date... I'm assuming that, therefore, they're the perfect opposition for us based on our current predicament.
4: They have to be. They have to be the perfect opposition. They've got a great record against Newcastle, and Newcastle bottom of the table. I mean, what's what's not to like about that matchup from a Saints point of view? Um, however... <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go um, wrong? Yeah, exactly. And it's at St Mary's, which makes you more nervous than if it was at St James's, to be honest. So, yeah, I mean... <laughs> If they can't if they really honestly, if they don't win this one, then you begin to think are they ever going to win at St. Mary's again? Because this is this is a winnable game. But that said, the only the only flip side to that is it's hard to work out which team goes into it under more pressure. I, I think Southampton, really, because obviously Newcastle are away from home, even though they've had a poor start and they need to try and get something going. Um but obviously Saints that they know um, that this is a huge game. I mean, I've written a piece for, for this week saying, uh, it's, we're not at the stage of the season where it's do or die. Obviously, long way from that. But,
2: oh, you've ruined my next question. I was going to ask you whether it was must win.
4: Well, obviously not, but, um, not after nine games. Uh, well, not ever, in fact. Uh, but it's not, it's not do or die, but it, it it's, it's potentially, as I mentioned earlier, season defining in that if you don't win this, then the the downward momentum that brings the lack of belief and confidence, especially playing at home, um, as well as the lack of points going to Man City the following weekend, um, kind of potentially condemns you to a relegation fight. If you win, then you have a chance of doing enough to not be looking over your shoulder the entire season and, and to have a, a little bit of a you know feeling that you might well be able to move through the table a little bit. So it's a it's a it's a huge game. Both teams are under massive pressure. I mean, feel a bit sorry in some ways for Newcastle. Obviously, to a certain extent, away from the pitch, they're, they're masters of their own downfall. But when you look at the fixtures, I mean, they five of their first eight they played against top the top six. I mean, that is that is a really really horrible unlucky. Uh, fixture schedule because what happens then inevitably is that you don't win those games and uh, you then get this uh, down real downward momentum and all, all that early season enthusiasm is gone and sapped from you um, and through no real fault of your own because you could just got a rotten set of fixtures you won't get win. and then when you come out of that yes they're in a position now where they've you, you look at their fixture this for the rest of the season and given they've got five of those games out of the way already um their yeah, you know, their fixture list for the remainder of the season obviously looks considerably better, but you're now under huge pressure because you're bottom of the table and you're used to losing every week. So it's a it's a difficult situation for them and I, I fancy that they will just feel that something needs to happen for them. They were obviously under massive pressure to get something at home to Bright and they kind of seem to buckle under that pressure. They might well feel that kind of coming away from home and playing another team, especially from their point of view, they'll look at it at the other end and say, well, this is a team who can't win at home. That might be the chance for them. They will see to get something going in their own season as well. So two teams very much uh, under pressure and probably who deals with that pressure the best will will come out on top. I suspect.
2: Steve, it looks like another season where Adam's going to decline to uh, commit to a must-win game. But uh, looking at it from the other side of the panel, do you think it's a game that really is must-win? Yeah. If we don't win it, then who else
3: are we going to beat at home? Um, I mean, you're literally looking at a side that has got two points. I mean, using the old Harry Redknappism here, the two points from nine games at the moment. There is no team worse than them in the league statistically. Um, I mean, yeah. Obviously, there's the ca- there's a slight caveat of the of the fixture list, but they've played four games against teams around them and only got two points from those as well. So they're they're struggling. Um, I mean, Newcastle are are essentially a Championship team with a Champions League manager, um, mm. and their re- their recruitment has basically hindered them rather than improved their lot since they came back up. And I mean, Benitez did a great job last season to keep them. I mean, they were nowhere near in being in any sort of danger, were they? No. Um, but they, but I think it's all it's all kind of catching up on them a little bit. And I mean, you can't you can't do more than the season with a with a substandard squad. And Huddersfield are finding out um, very similar this season as well. So at the end of the day, if we cannot beat this Newcastle team, then we we absolutely deserve to be in, in the conversation for um, for the bottom three.
2: I was just going to ask about Rafa Benitez uh, Steve he's someone that um, you know, I've always felt is a very good manager he's quite often unassuming in the, the way he approaches games doesn't seem to get too carried away but um, bearing in mind everything that's going on with Mike Ashley and potential takeovers and struggling to get signings in the door do you think he's um, delivered above and beyond what Newcastle fans might have expected or certainly the board may have expected because I guess many other managers may well have walked away from a similar situation before now yeah, I mean, I think I mean, Benitez
3: does seem to be a manager who um, kind of relishes being in a, a club where there is that kind of uh, community feel about it. And, and you, the, new, the Newcastle fan base is, is, I mean, everyone likes to think that their, their own support base is unique and they're the best fans in the world, yada, yada, yada. But Newcastle fans are an especially strange lot in that they will they will put up with all manner of nonsense being thrown their way and still... And they'll still rock up and still put at least 45, 50,000 people in the ground each week. And um, Benitez does seem to relish that um, hero worshipping situation, which he obviously had at Liverpool as well, who were equally weird. Um, so I, I think the, re- the reason one of the reasons he stuck it out is because he knows that he will always have the backing of the fan base when Mike Ashley is potentially on the other side of the um, argument. Because let's face it, no Newcastle fan is ever going to take Ashley's side on on anything. No. So I think I mean Benitez has done, he, as I say, did a cracking job last season. I think everyone was quite surprised that he stayed there when they went down. But yeah, last last season was excellent. This season, I I do I do wonder whether he's kind of contributed a little bit to their downfall with um, a combination of negative tactics, maybe trying to play the politics in public a little bit too much. Obviously, he, he put that uh, mention out about. Uh, John Lewis or something like that, which was which was clearly a, clearly a jibe against um, House of Fraser, which Ashley had just bought, and it was like, well, you're kind of weakening your position a little bit there, and I mean particularly the negative tactics in in a couple of the games. I mean, yeah, they're playing they're playing against the against the top six, and you you're expected to be on the back foot for significant periods, but in some of those games, there was barely any sort of disguised attempt to get out of their eighteen yard box at times. It's like, well, you, you've got absolutely no chance of winning um, any of those games. So from that perspective, it's like, well, is there anybody surprised they're down there? I'm, I'm not not sure I am.
2: No, me neither. Focusing on Saints, Adam, it's obviously a crucial game, as we've said. How do they go about winning the game? Do you think Mark Hughes needs to sort of stick with what worked down at Bournemouth to a certain extent? Or do you think he's likely to tinker around with things again? For me, he needs to stick with it
4: because it worked to a large extent you you go okay well what's the what was the missing ingredient uh, against Bournemouth what was the only thing you could have really held up as a criticism well they didn't put the ball in the net okay fine so what are you going to do about that um Stuart Armstrong's you know if Lamina's fit is unlikely to start anyway who is one of the culprits of of a bad miss and uh Danny Ings is going to play because he's your number one striker so really then you're just going well uh, are you gonna who are you going to play as the other striker and that's the only realistic change I think I, I mean I didn't think um on a more negative side that Elianusi had a particularly good game or contributed a huge amount really but no th- he needs to bed in and, and if they believe that he is the man that's going to you know produce things this season he has to be given a run in the team to really kind of find his feet so he should stay as well if that's the case so weighing up all the arguments i i think you to be honest you stick with it if you've said um you've made a statement um the team's made a statement you're they've been positive uh they clearly deserve to win Da da da, da, da then for me unless you're forced to through injury you don't change the team and you give it another go the next time out and i sincerely hope he does that i think it would be potentially be an error to to try and get too clever or too cute with it and I, I think Hughes is um is too experienced and too smart to fall into that trap to be honest I think he's been desperately searching for something anything that might work this looks like it it might work because it did against Bournemouth so why why would you change it I don't understand why you change it you just send them back out there again and 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 see if you they can finally get this home
2: win just before we go on to do our ill-fated predictions then Adam I always call them ill-fated because they tend to turn out like that um Newcastle Manchester City Watford in the Premier League before the next international break uh, obviously sandwiched in the middle of that is a trip up to see big bad Claude which I'm sure you're looking forward to but if we write city off assuming that they're not going to get anything from that how important is it that they they get sort of at least four maybe six points from the Newcastle and Watford home games
4: ah uh, i think probably for they need to win the next two uh well the next two home games sorry not man city um i i think they do in terms of just uh, as i sort of said before setting the tone for the rest of the season really because if you if you don't then it's just this perpetual as we've spoken about many times sort of groundhog day situation where you kind of get to the brink and just pull themselves back and go back to the brink again and just pull themselves back. And, and, you know, you do that enough times and eventually you don't pull yourself back. So I think that they, they really need to, to do that. And particularly as the two, uh, the Newcastle and Watford game obviously are at home. Yeah. And the home form has been so, what, what I'm trying to think of the word to describe it. And I think it just, just abysmal worth. I can't really think of a, you know, one win in 15 or whatever it is now. And, and we're approaching that period very, very soon. Where if the win doesn't come, then they'll have gone a full year with one win at uh, home, which is, uh, you know, such a dreadful record. It's almost unreal. But um, yeah, cheers for that, Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Good old Bournemouth. <laughs> Didn't I say last year on the podcast that uh, the, know, yeah, thank you to Bournemouth because, of course, they, they not only did they roll over at St. Mary's, but they then went and beat Swansea yeah. the next game. So they, they really, despite how much they say they hate Saints, they basically kept them up last year yeah. at the end of the season, which is very generous of them. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's I think it's important for them to get two wins. It's far too early in the season to be saying, well, if you don't, then that's it. And, you, the, the, you know, they've got no chance of staying up, blah, 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 because clearly that's not the case. But I think in terms of actually if you have any consideration that this season might be in any way positive for saints and not just a te- another terrible year then you've got to win these two games really
2: so come on then adam you're sounding positive let's go with your prediction
4: yeah absolutely i'm i'm going to be positive i
2: am uh, going to go 3-0 <laughs> <laughs> well you're quite clearly still jet lad what's your real prediction
4: <laughs> i've been up since three thirty in the morning it's been a very long day
2: okay three no it is then steve you um one nil I think. 1-0, fair enough. We'll take that. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's going to be a nervy afternoon, I suspect. Yeah, I think nervy's the right word, Steve. Um, Adam, you're not going to believe this. Uh, I have absolutely no confidence in this prediction, but I did notice earlier that I'd not predicted one Saints win this season in the uh, prediction league, so I thought I'd better change that. So I'm actually going to go for a 2-1 win to Saints. Can you believe it?
4: Well, that is absolutely unbelievable. I knew you'd say Uh, that. Because I normally sit here and play the i have my own little prediction league where i predict your predictions <laughs> and i i had i had this down as one all, all the way
2: yeah i think i probably had that most of the day and folded at the last minute <laughs> i should probably have more confidence shouldn't i there we go but uh look just finally on the tweets both andy davis and Michel matton agreed with steven myself that it is a must win game i think many saints fans will <laughs> Just before we finish up, Adam, I know you've obviously been away and only back in the country on Friday. One of the uh, national newspapers, Daily Express, reported this week that Saints have been eyeing up Leonardo Jardim, the ex-Monaco manager. I just wondered if uh, you could sort of clarify whether you think there's anything in that or that it's more likely it'll still be Mark Hughes for the foreseeable.
4: I don't don't see how you really can make that change at the moment. I suppose if things go completely belly up, if if going into the next international break, they've lost the next three games and... And things are really looking incredibly grim. Well, maybe you start um, considering it, but they—they they need some stability. They've got to give Hugh some time to 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 do his best to get this right. He's obviously still searching or has been searching, but he he needs time. And and how many more times are we kind of going to have a the discussion of, well, can, can we just stop blaming the manager all the time and just changing the manager and assuming that's going to make the difference? Whoever comes in. Let's be completely blunt about this and completely honest. The squad they've got, the reason that they're struggling is because of the squad they've got, and it's not because of the manager that they've got. Now, you can say, yes, a different manager might do things a bit differently, and that would get better results. Another manager might do things differently, and it would get worse results. I appreciate that's still part of it, but I don't honestly foresee with what they've they've got there and what they've accumulated through a few transfer windows of generally – pretty poor business that they are uh going to appoint somebody who is going to suddenly magically uh, turn this around and so therefore if Hughes was the right man what nine games ago surely he's still the right man now it's not it's not as if they're bottom of the table with no points yes it hasn't been the start that anybody wanted but he, he's got to be given a bit of time I, I just can't I can't if they change it they're they're absolutely, utterly crazy. Basically, I think you've you've just got to you've got to give him more time. No, you know, nine games is, is just not enough for anybody.
2: Thanks for listening to this week's Total Saints podcast we appreciate it very much especially in light of current on-field issues and thanks to everyone that sent tweets in as well hopefully we managed to read yours out very much appreciated don't forget you can catch up on any of our previous episodes on iTunes, Google Podcasts Acast and Soundcloud before we finish up I just wanted to give a final shout out for the We March On exhibition at the Sea City Museum it closes on the 28th of October so if you've not had a chance to visit yet then please uh, go along and uh, you've got a week to do that and reminisce about the club we love so much there's some great stuff there that Greg and uh, a lot of the team set up so try and get down there if you haven't already it's only 3.50 a ticket otherwise we'll be back post Newcastle next week hopefully talking about three points until then enjoy your week and keep marching in